Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. Happy New Year. We hope that you all got to spend some great time with friends or family for Christmas and New Year's. I personally never really know what to do for New Year's. It's like this really built up holiday. And then especially this year, you get there and it's like, well, you know, can't really do a lot. Uh, But my sister and brother-in-law and I were all together and we wound up playing this board game called Pandemic. Lauren, have you played it before? (laughs) Uh, You know, Virginia, I have not played (laughs) the game before. You should. You should invest in this game. It was great and highly satisfying because the game is exactly what it sounds like. You're battling against a pandemic and it's one of those games where it's the player's against the board um, and we beat the pandemic at the end of 2020 so it was just like the perfect way to end the year playing this game and we did we beat the pandemic that was the end of 2020 <laughs> that's such a good way virginia too bad you can't do it in <laughs> your life yeah, yeah we just translate that like uh. <laughs> so but lauren what did you do with your family over the break So one really special thing that I got to do, I have friends up in Buffalo, but they just happened to be down in Florida when I was in Florida. And they have a like 14-month-old and a 4-year-old. And then my sister has a 10-month-old and we all got together and the kids played together. And Virginia, the closest thing I got to playing a board game over the break was playing Uno with a 4-year-old. But still, (laughs) the fact that she is able to play and like so good at it, it was just so special. Did she win? (laughs) You know, I won, Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know. Yeah, with that, I feel like, should you let the four-year-old win? I guess not. I guess you understand what it means to lose. (laughs) Yeah, I actually played with her before when she was three. I went up to Buffalo, I don't know, maybe about four or five months ago, and she beat me. So I feel like it was only fair to to get her back. Okay, Um, yeah. And then, so I had a really special break with my family. Um, The weather in Florida was absolutely beautiful. It was in, you know, the 50s, sunny the whole time. Um, But we really like to play uh, a game called Quiplash. And that's on, um, it's a Jack's Box TV game. And the way it works is um, you download it on, like, your Fire Stick. And everybody goes to a website on their phone. And the game puts, like, a, a quote up on the tv screen and everybody has to respond and then it puts everybody's responses up on the tv and you have to vote on it whoever has the funniest response wins and virginia after dinner my family will play for like an hour and we just like laugh until we cry it's so much fun (laughs) oh that's the best (laughs) those are such great games so there we go for all of our listeners you have two great games now to check out as you kick off 2021 pandemic and quiplash Quiplash. (laughs) (laughs) all right lauren what do we have queued up for today's show Up on today's Problematic Women, Georgia's runoff election was Tuesday, and Janae Strackey, the grassroots director for Heritage Action for America, joins us to discuss what we know about the outcome of the election and what it was like spending nearly two months on the ground in Georgia, encouraging people to get out and vote. Plus, we break down a surprisingly pro-life TV show and what you may want to add to your list in 2021. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. 
On Tuesday, Georgia had two runoff elections between Republicans Kelly Leffler and David Perdue and Democrats Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff. This election was a huge deal, not just because it determined who would represent Georgia in the Senate, but also because if Democrats won both seats, that would essentially give the Democrats control of the Senate. So to help us understand the importance of this election, what happened on Tuesday and what it takes to run a grassroots campaign effort is Janae Strackey, the grassroots director of Heritage Action for America. Janae, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's always good to be on. Well, it's so good to have you back. And I do want to give our listeners just a heads up. Um, Janae is amazing and so kind and is awesome to be doing this interview actually at the airport in Atlanta. She's getting ready to fly back to the D.C. area. So as you're hearing right now, flights are going to be uh, announced while we're doing the conversation. This is all part of that grassroots look, what it looks like to be on the ground doing the hard work. And we're so glad that she's taking the time to chat with us this morning. Uh, But Janae, Heritage Action for America, or HAFA, as we often call it, is the grassroots arm of the Heritage Foundation. So you all actually engage in political campaigns, and that's exactly what you've done in Georgia over the course of the past two months. So let's begin with the most pressing news, and that is what happened in Georgia on Tuesday. Now, I do want to let our listeners know we're having this conversation Wednesday morning. So, of course, um, information and results are going to continue to come out the rest of the day, Wednesday into Thursday morning. But can you let us know what your thoughts are on the results right now? Yeah, that's right. So as you said, I'm on the ground here in Georgia. We've, um, I've been here pretty much every weekend and, and then some for the last seven weeks. And we've been down here with our uh, grassroots organization, our grassroots, which we call Sentinels. Um, we've been on the ground door knocking, making phone calls, sending text messages, all sorts of stuff we've been down here doing. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. But, you know, an initial analysis Um, From last night, it does look like Kelly Leffler um, has lost her race. Uh, David Perdue is is still in the running. There is at least one county that still needs to be counted, as well as some absentee and I believe military ballots. Um, So it's really close. And I think we knew going into this, it was going to be razor thin. That's why um, having our grassroots down here and, you know, all the time, money, and energy that we spent on this race was so crucial and was so important because we knew, I mean, this could come down to a few votes. Um, we've seen that happen before, um, and I, I think that will be the case with Purdue's race. So every vote counts, and that's what we've been saying from day one. This was really um, an election about voter turnout. That yeah. was what it was going to come down to, is whose base showed up. Well, and As we've seen, there was a really strong turnout. There were over 3 million individuals who voted early in Georgia and then uh, over a million that turned out on Election Day. That's a really high turnout for a runoff election. I know um, many individuals in Georgia were really happy to see that. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, just the scope and nature of this election, all all eyes are on Georgia. The entire nation was watching and the entire nation was talking about it. And that's because this has impact on the entire nation. Um, so I think Georgians felt that pressure and were probably engaged more than they normally would be. So there definitely was 
um, high turnout based on, you know, traditional turnout for a, a special election like this. Um, I think what was interesting is, uh, so Heritage Action spent our time in um, five counties predominantly around the uh, Atlanta proper in the Atlanta suburbs. Um, and that was that was an area that really hurt hurt us in the general we really needed to make sure that conservatives showed up here, that showed up for conservative values. So that's where we've been spending our time. And based on, you know, the initial reports, at least, it looks like more suburban moms came out than they did in the general. And so, you know, that tells me that we were in the right place doing the right thing. But unfortunately, it was the rural counties and the rural areas that hurt a bit more on turnout. So it's interesting to see those numbers flip from the general to um, this special runoff where suburban moms showed up and uh, the rural areas did not. So I think there's probably a few reasons for that, but I think ultimately that will be what hurt us. Well, and why do you think that is? Why was there that lower turnout in the rural areas? You know, I, I think there's a few different reasons for it. Um, you know, one being what we already talked about is that turnout is just traditionally lower for um, a runoff election, and people, for whatever reason, don't make it as much of a priority. Um, and and maybe there wasn't as much of a push there. You know, we were canvassing in in the suburban areas, which is an important place for us to be. We can't be uh, in every county, certainly, um, but you know, maybe they needed that extra push. We were sending text messages. Um, but I, I I also think that a really big part of this are um, the the Trump's base. Um, you know, many of you are probably hearing some of the rallies happening in Georgia from um, lawyers such as Lynn Wood. You know, there was one in particular where he actually called on Georgia residents to not vote. Um, because he was upset about the general election. And, you know, there were many, many, many conservative organizations, conservative um, elected officials that were down here touring the state saying, please show up and vote. You you can be upset about the general election. We should fight um, with everything we have to make sure that our elections are, are fair and that there is integrity um, within our systems. But the worst thing you could do is stay home. If you if you don't vote, then, you know, there's 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 one way to be sure that your vote isn't counted, and that's to stay home and to not vote. So we were all um, making a rallying cry for people to show up and vote anyway. But I do think that that ended up hurting us. Well, we're going to be continuing to watch those results as they roll in. As of Wednesday morning, the Associated Press was reporting 98 percent of the vote reported. Um, and like you mentioned, we're especially keeping close eyes on the Purdue race to see as ballots continue to be counted. That one is really razor thin right now. Um, but Janae, I want to chat a little bit just about the work that you all did on the ground. I mean, running this sort of grassroots effort is a ton of work. Can you just tell us what did a normal day look like for you over the past two months? Yeah, well, when we're on the ground here, I mean, a normal day was rallying the troops. We've been um, recruiting our Sentinels, as I said, to come join us in Georgia. We obviously have some here in Georgia, but we had people traveling in from all over the country, California, Michigan, Tennessee, Texas, everywhere, Nebraska. I mean, I'm telling you, we had we had grassroots coming from everywhere, and um, it's because they 
knew what was on the line and they were willing to put their lives on the hold on hold sacrifice their personal time finances to show up in Georgia and do everything they could um, to turn out the conservative vote. Um, so a, a typical day was, you know, if we had new grassroots that hadn't been on the ground yet, we would start out um, training them on how to door knock. Some are really experienced and have done this before, have helped with various campaigns and others were here for the first time and were like, you know, we don't know what we're doing, but we want to help. And um, so we would train them. It was, you know, very user-friendly. Anyone can do it. It's a little intimidating at first, but then we would send them out. We would meet back for meals um, and, and they would, they would door knock all day. And, you know, we also had thousands of people across the country that were making phone calls for us, sending text messages. So the outpouring of support from our grassroots was really incredible to see. We ended up exceeding our goal. We contacted over 1.5 million Georgia voters and ended up increasing that goal to 2 million. So we were really pleased with the work that we were able to do. We, we hit our goals and then some, and that was only possible because of um, all the help of grassroots from around the country. Um, the other thing that we did was... Um, worked with our grassroots to get signed up as poll workers and poll watchers. And this is really a crucial part of an election. We did this in the general as well. Um, down here in Georgia, we had um, well over 300 volunteers sign up to um, work in various counties. And some of the stories that I was getting from um, those volunteers yesterday were um, great to hear, some positive, some neutral, some were reporting suspicious activity or what they thought to be um, illegal activity. And we would make sure that was reported and handled. Um, but what really stood out to me were the volunteers that were reaching out to me and saying, I'm the only conservative here, or, you know, there's two of us here, we came together, we're the only conservative. Um, and that, again, tells me that, you know, we were exactly where we needed to be, we were doing exactly what we needed to do. If, if our grassroots weren't there, there would have been no conservatives at that, at that county or at that precinct. So every bit that our grassroots were doing was vital, um, and, and I do believe made an impact end of the day, uh, we'll see how this turns out. It might um, swing in favor of Purdue, um, but but I really believe that without without the grassroots support, this um, would have looked really different. So as you all were engaging with people in Georgia, as you were knocking on doors, sending those text messages, and then even at the polls on Tuesday, what were you all hearing from Georgians, from the people that, that live in the state? Mostly it was positive. Um, we spent our time knocking predominantly with our base. There were definitely some um, independents in there, some undecideds, um, but, you know, it was predominantly our base. As I said earlier, this is a lot about voter turnout. Um, this is a, a really unique election, and we weren't trying to change minds. And, uh, you know, a huge part of that as well is that um, Georgia has been saturated that you can't turn on your TV or radio or open your mailbox without um, receiving something about this election. So almost everyone we talked to, I mean, nobody answered the door and said, who? Oh, I don't know. Who's the candidate? Everybody knew. Um, if you open the door, it was within a few seconds, you could figure out if they, um, if they'd already voted or not, but their mind was already made up. Most people knew they were going to vote for. Um, and I would say it was a, a relatively positive response. Most people I spoke with 
personally, um, were like, oh, yeah, you don't, you don't have to worry about me. I've got my plan. Um, you know, even just yesterday, talking to people, a lot of the conservatives I spoke to are dumbfounded, uh, for lack of a better word. I mean, they're really just wondering what happened. You know, mm-hmm. why is our state going this direction? Um, so I think it's a wake-up call for for Georgians because they're really you know there's a lot of conservatives down here that thought we're we're a deep red state this is is really baffling to them to even see you know the fact that they're having a special runoff at all um that the fact that it's as close as it is is really shocking to them well and Georgia of course has been a red state for about 20 years now um so as you've kind of been in the weeds of that campaign world and really on the ground in Georgia, digging into what is the situation, uh, you know, were you kind of able to answer that question for any of those folks who were asking, wait a second, you know, I'm conservative. I thought I lived in a really conservative state. What's going on? Yeah, well, I think Georgia is not all that different from a, a lot of our other states where you can have a, a red state, but you've got these dense city urban populations where that's starting to shift um, for a variety of reasons. Um, Certainly the younger vote has a a big impact on that and often um, younger people are living in those urban areas. So um, I think it really is the cities that swing on this and I think that combating that is going to be twofold. Um, We certainly need to um, continue doing what we're doing traditionally, you know, just saturating the field and educating people, but we really have to get ahead of it. It's not enough to um, talk to voters a month before the election and and try to convince them to vote for it. We have to change hearts and minds. And, that, you know, that's what um, Heritage Action is all about is education and working with our grassroots to make sure that they're informed and equipped um, not only to know where they stand on issues, but to be able to talk to um, their friends, family, neighbors, their kids, their grandkids. Uh, and Heritage Action, you know, we've been down here on the ground in Georgia, but we didn't we didn't just pick this up in Georgia. We've been doing this all year in swing states, and we just transitioned um, what we've already been doing to Georgia. Um, and we plan on continuing um, these grassroots efforts. I really think that that is um, where the political landscape is, is shifting. It's going to be face-to-face conversations. And so we're going to keep um, working in important swing states and um, being on the ground, building those relationships, having those conversations and um, trying to change some hearts and minds and win elections. You know, we if, if we do um, Maybe we'll hang on to produce and 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 buy us some time, um, but you know, elections are not final. Even Warnock, who we I believe has beat Leffler, he's going to be up for re-election again in in 2022 because this was a special election. So um, that's the most sen- most senators are going to go in and be in for six years. That's not the case for him. Um, so elections are not final. Uh, we can't give up. There's going to be a new fight tomorrow and heritage action is, is not going anywhere. We're going to keep, keep fighting. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Cause we need people like yourselves to keep fighting, to be on the ground. Talk a little bit about why you do what you do. I mean, it is pretty grueling to go in, do all of this work on the ground. Um, and then, you know, as we're seeing right now, uh, you know, it looks like Leffler has lost her race. 
that's got to be discouraging when you have put so much work into trying to, um, you know, really back a candidate that you believe in, really advocate for values that you believe in. And then it doesn't always work out the way that you hoped and the way that you've been working for. Yeah, that's right. I I mean, yeah, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't discouraging. It's, of course, um, you know, not fun to to lose. Um, but I, I think that to answer your question why I do what I do and why Heritage Action does what we do is because we believe in freedom. We believe in America. We believe in the Constitution. Um, and, and we're going to fight for that no matter what. So, you know, as I already mentioned, elections are not final. Defeat is not final. Victory is also not final. So, um I think in this line of work and really for any American, whether you work in whether you work in politics and policy or not, it impacts your life. And this is is and should be something you care about. Um, And as exhausting and frustrating as it can be, we can't give up because it's never final. And, you know, I think the left does that really well. They've been chipping away at our, our values and what we stand for in America for decades. This is is not new for them either. I think we're in the position we're in now because um, really comes down to our education system and and people, um, you know, our understanding of history and what America really stands for and why we operate the way that we do, um, what the Constitution says has been chipped away at for a really long time. So um, we cannot give up. We have to match that by equally fighting and not saying, oh, you know, well, it's a slippery slope. We've gone too far all is lost. No, that's not true. We have to keep fighting. And, um, you know, you've maybe heard this quote before, it says, perfectionism abhors error. It tries to eradicate and destroy it. Excellence embraces error. It builds on it and it transforms it. So we at Heritage Action are striving to be excellent. um, And we'll, we'll always evaluate, all right, we lost this race. Why do we think that is? Do we need to change our strategy? How do we um, further the policy? I mean, at the end of the day, that's what elections are about. We want to win elections so that we can win policy. Um, so really, it comes down to the policy battles, and we're gonna we're gonna spend the next few years still fighting for policy and um, looking for unique strategies to to still win. Well, in the work that you all do at Heritage Action, it's so important, but it's also so unique because, you know, it's it's not just people sitting in, you know, Washington behind computers. You all are out there, you're on the ground, and you're mobilizing communities through your Sentinel program. And so much of your work in Georgia was uh, was completed and achieved through volunteers. And so much of, you know, yeah. mobilizing people to get out and vote. We had that high voter turnout, I believe, exactly because of people like the Sentinels. Can you talk a little bit about the Sentinel program and how our listeners can get involved, can learn more, and can join you all in their own state, in their own communities. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you said it well. This is just, um, these are just American patriots who love America. And um, that is really the fuel to me personally and what I do. I love getting out in the fields and interacting with our Sentinels. I mean, as I said earlier in the interview, they have sacrificed a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's my job to be down here in Georgia, but many, um, if not all of the Sentinels I'm working with sacrificed 
time at their their job, um, their finances, their time to come and help with this. And um, I see that every day working with them, and it is, is truly inspiring. So they're cream of the crop, incredible people. Um, they're also from all different walks of life. Uh, some of them are involved um, heavily in, in politics in their communities, and others you know, come with zero experience and are just worried about where the nation is going and and they want to help be a part of change and make a difference. And so I would encourage any of our listeners to go to heritageaction.com backslash sentinel. Um, Again, it's heritageaction.com backslash sentinel. You can sign up there. You're going to get connected with a regional coordinator who lives in your area, can answer any of your questions. We'll connect you with other sentinels. Um, We have meetups and sentinel summits or we do in-person trainings i host a weekly call um, that updates everyone on what's going on capitol hill um, in upcoming battles the strategy on it we want to make sure you know what's happening um, before you're hearing it on your tv by the time the news is talking about it it's usually baked and decided um, so we want to be strategic about our influence and, and make sure that you know about the issues that matter while you can still have um, influence and impact with your with your members at Congress. Um, so we have all sorts of different resources for you. And again, um, don't be intimidated if you haven't been involved in any kind of activism before. There are all sorts of things you can do um, and all different skill sets. So we need you. We would love to have you have you join. Um, again, you can sign up at heritageaction.com backslash Sentinel. That's wonderful. Jenny, thank you so much for your time. We'll let you catch your flight now, but we just really appreciate you coming on the show, talking to us about Georgia, what happened. um, And of course, we're going to continue to monitor the situation and watch those votes roll in specifically um, for Purdue. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Stay tuned because up next, we are discussing a show that is surprisingly pro-life. But first, it's a brand new year and you probably have some New Year's resolutions or general goals jumping into 2021. And one of those aims may involve reading more or staying more up to date on the issues you care about. And one of the best ways to do that is through the Daily Signal's Morning Bell email. The email contains several top news and commentary pieces to get you up to speed on the issues you need to know about today. The email comes right to your inbox every morning, so there's no sifting through tons of posts or news pages to find the news that you care about. To sign up, visit DailySignal.com and click on the Connect button at the top corner of the page. Welcome back, Virginia. I can't tell you the last time that I took a vacation and just did nothing and, you know, just really felt relaxed. But this winter break, I don't know, maybe it was the way that it was kind of two Fridays between and then you had between the holidays. But I just had so much time. And I one day I I didn't get off my couch at all. Yeah, We all need those days. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And, you know, I was like, I'm going to find a new show to watch and really enjoy. And I just happened to turn on a show called Modern Love on Amazon Prime. And, you know, I was expecting it to be cute. But honestly, I was expecting, you know, a couple of gay couples, you know, somebody to have an abortion, just what you see on normal TV. But Virginia, this show was so adorable and so honest and just such a pleasant surprise. I texted you right after the first episode 
it's this woman. She goes on a date. She hooks up with this guy on a date. She just happens to get pregnant. And there's a doorman in her building that she has this, like, weird relationship with where he's almost like a father figure in her life. And they just have earnest conversations. And she decides to keep the baby. And the baby becomes such a blessing in in her life. And it just shows this love connection between, and it's not really a romantic love connection. It's just a wholesome friendship between a woman and her doorman and what this baby brings to her life and all this joy. And then she eventually finds love. And I just really recommend it in the whole series. I mean, there is one episode with a homosexual couple, but even that they adopt a a baby. And I I think overall it has a very pro-life message and it was just such like a, a treat to to watch this show that that showed human connection and and just really I think after 2020 and and being separated from so many friends and and you know for family for extended periods of time to to see this and remember what the world is like it was it was really fun. Well, and Lauren, when you texted me and said you have to check out this show Modern Love, it's actually the, at least the first episode is really pro life. I was. I was honestly still a little skeptical. I was like, really? A show called Modern Love is pro-life? And I was like, well, Lauren says it's good. I'll watch it. Um, and I was literally like, I was sitting at my kitchen table by the end of the show and just like bawling. <laughs> and like, not, I, I think I liked it so much personally, because not only is it really pro-life, you know, she gets pregnant out of wedlock. She lives in, this this woman who lives in New York City. She has a good career and still she chooses to keep her baby. And that is obviously awesome and so great to see that modeled in a TV show. But then I also really loved um, the, the aspect of the show that showed that element of the importance of father figures in our lives. That as people, we all kind of need those older individuals who look out for us. And in this case, it happens to be this woman's doorman who works in her building, who she sees you know, every morning leaving and every night coming back home and uh, who she sees as she brings dates up to her apartment. Uh, and he becomes this kind of protective, essentially father figure. And he becomes her greatest support as she decides to bring this life into the world. And that was, I think, so powerful because it can be so easy to get caught up in the, oh, I can do it by myself. And, you know, I'm strong and powerful. And while, yes, that's true, we are, you know, strong and powerful women. I believe we can, you know, do what we set our minds to. We need each other and we need support and we need mother figures and we need father figures in our lives. And then I also really love the fact um, that there's this beautiful scene where the doorman is sitting down with this woman and they're having a really blunt conversation about, okay, she's pregnant. What is she going to do? And he essentially tells her, like, don't make your choice to end this child's life because you're afraid. Like, don't let fear dictate your actions. And in that moment, I was like, yes, because that is the pro-life feminist message that as women, we're strong and powerful And you should never allow fear to be the motivator that ultimately ends the life of your child. You can do it. You can do it with the community around you. So five stars, at least for the first episode. I I liked some, I watched two other episodes. I liked them 
But man, the first one, huh, it really, it really got me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think every episode, maybe I didn't cry as much as in that first episode, but definitely like a, like a little choke up in it, you know, that you feel in the throat um, just because it's, it's so sweet. What about you, Virginia? Did you watch any good shows over the break? So I rewatched um, a show called The Chosen, uh, which for anyone who hasn't heard of it, it's essentially um, the story of Jesus and his disciples. So they have the first season out already. They're uh, in the midst of producing the second season right now. It's an entirely crowdfunded TV show. Uh, and I had watched it l- early last year, kind of around when it had come out. But then my parents hadn't seen it over Christmas. So it was really nice. Over the Christmas break, I had about a week with my family. And every night we would all just sit down and watch an episode. There's just eight episodes in the first season. Uh, and the thing that I really like about The Chosen is so many sort of quote unquote Bible shows or shows that depict the life of Christ are so um, focused on Jesus, which nothing wrong with that. But sometimes then the stories of the disciples kind of get pushed to the background. We don't really know a lot about them. And they're sometimes just sort of this addition to the story of Jesus. This show kind of flips that on its head. And it really goes deep into who the disciples were, that they were really normal people. They had major issues and flaws. They at first didn't really recognize fully. Many of them didn't fully recognize who it was that they were walking with and doing life with. And really through kind of seeing uh, through the disciples' perspective, who Jesus was for them, you just like over and over, I feel like have these aha moments of like, oh my gosh, like the disciples were people just like me and Jesus chose them to walk with them, to journey with them, to further his gospel. Uh, so it's it's so uplifting and really encouraging because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only broken person in the world and it's okay <laughs> that I'm broken and ugly. And um, so highly, highly recommend that show. If you haven't seen it, you can, uh, the full show is on YouTube and then it's um, was produced by a streaming service called VidAngel. So you can watch it and subscribe to that service, but really excellent show. Virginia, I love that so much. And I just love that you use your time to learn and, you know, to watch such a uh, uh, a show that, that is both entertaining, but also is good for your spiritual well-being and also, you know, educates you at the same time. Now, it really is great. Well, and I'll say it's a great show uh, to watch with family, um, if your family at all are people of faith, because if your family is anything like my family, finding a TV show to watch together is nearly impossible. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) has different opinions and likes different things. Uh, So it is a great feat to find something everyone will actually sit through and everyone actually like The Chosen, because also I will add the acting is really on point. Uh, So many, you know, Christian TV shows, Christian movies, they've been struggling for a while. They're getting better, slowly but surely. Uh, I would say The Chosen is by far the best acting in a Christian show, the most highly produced that I personally have seen. So all around, great experience. Lauren, but uh, were there any other shows that caught your attention over Christmas? So I was one of those folks who was really disappointed that The Office was leaving Netflix. So I tried to squeeze as much Office (laughs) as I could before December 31st ended. But Virginia, 
I have to tell you that it was not a hard switch over to Peacock. I mean, I definitely have um, some annoyances with NBC's new app that they put the show on. There's a ton of commercials. It just doesn't work as cleanly as Netflix. But I still get my office fix every day. <laughs> See, I can only handle the office in small segments. Uh, Michael Scott just, whoo, sometimes, man, I cannot handle that, man. <laughs> oh, I every every day. Every day I can't fall asleep unless I have the office on. Oh, oh. too funny. <laughs> well, we want to uh, wrap up this show slash movie segment by chatting just for a moment about Wonder Woman 1984. Now, disclaimer, neither Lauren or I have seen the movie, but I want to explain why I haven't seen it, because there is a reason. So, as I said, I was with family over Christmas. My sister and brother-in-law love the movies, and so we had a very, very long deliberation about, okay, it's Christmas, Wonder Woman is actually in some theaters, we could actually go to a movie theater, which we haven't done in a really long time, and watch this movie. At the same time, we were reading reviews that are not very positive <laughs> about the movie. So the original Wonder Woman, which came out in 2017, I believe, it received uh, a 94% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and an 84% uh, from viewers. So really great movie. I loved it really inspiring, awesome, DC killed it. But the new Wonder Woman has received only a 61% from critics and a 74% uh, from the audience on Rotten Tomatoes. So pretty significant and drastic decline. And then I have been reading some reviews, specifically uh, read one from the New York Post, and there are some pretty strong... Uh, say progressive and left-leaning themes in the movie. They um, inserted a character who's meant to portray Donald Trump uh, and be essentially kind of a villain. And they also paint President Ronald Reagan in a really extreme light, paint him as someone who he definitely wasn't. It's somewhat, uh, there's themes that are somewhat anti-Second uh, Amendment. So, alas, because of all of those things, uh, my family and I decided we don't want to support this movie, at least not in theaters. So if you've seen it, let us know on Twitter. If you are like, no, it's still great. It's worth it. I want to know. But at least right now, from all I've seen in the reviews, I feel like it's it's not worth supporting. No, and I think, Virginia, one other really funny part about that movie is that folks here in D.C., are upset because it doesn't realistically show what the metro is like. <laughs> it shows like the metro is like this really nice thing. And if it was supposed to be in the 80s, why do they have all the, you know, the current digital boards that they have up, which it's just such a nitpicky thing, you know, like <laughs> that is very nitpicky. But yeah. I, I could probably get on that bandwagon because as someone who uh, before we all started working from home because of the pandemic took the metro every day um i yeah i have some very strong feelings about the <laughs> <laughs> all right virginia with that we're gonna take a break we're all guilty of it spending too much time watching silly videos on the internet but it's 2021 maybe it's time for a change at the Heritage Foundation YouTube channel, you'll find videos that both entertain and educate, including 
virtual events featuring the biggest names in American politics, original explainers and documentaries, and heritage experts diving deep on topics like election integrity, China, and other threats to our democracy. All brought to you by the nation's most broadly supported Public Policy Research Institute. Start watching now at heritage.org slash YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and share. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Janae Strackey. We wanted to celebrate all of Janae's hard work. Grassroots is something that is so important, and it's really what our country was built upon and what continues our country as, you know, made up for the people and by the people. And and Janae was on the ground for so long in Georgia talking to folks, uh, working on the election, and we just wanted to honor her and all of the Heritage Action Sentinels and just everyone who voted and, and worked hard in this election for what they believe in. It's so important, and we're just so proud of her here on the show. Definitely well-deserved. Janae has worked so hard, and, and it's great to get to honor her, even in a small way, making her the problematic woman of the week. But now it is time for our Twitter poll question. And we could not wrap up today's show without mentioning the latest far-left attempt to erase gender. Some of you may have heard that on Sunday, House Democrats proposed a new bill that would eliminate gender-specific titles like mother, father, daughter, and son from House rules. Instead, more general terms like parent or child would be used. Now, I personally find this legislation not only ridiculous, but also pretty insulting. I mean, I wear my titles of daughter and sister very proudly, and one day I hope to add the title of mom to that list, and there is nothing discriminatory about those titles. It's just you are a mom, you are a daughter, you are a sister, you are a son or a brother or a dad. That's part of who you are. It's ridiculous. There's been mothers and fathers since humans have been on earth. There's no way that they can just make a slight rule change and, and edit this out. And I think the American people see right through this. But we want to know what you all think. So this week's Twitter question is, is there a danger to replacing titles such as mother or father with general titles like parent in house rules? So there's going to be four options. You can select, this is a good idea. I don't think it matters. It sets a dangerous precedent. Or final option, this is a terrible idea. So you can find that poll on my Twitter page, which is Virginia underscore Allen 5 we want to know your thoughts, so be sure to check it out. That poll will go live Thursday morning and be live for 24 hours. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, go ahead and subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week and a great weekend, and we'll be back with you all next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.